you know, um, as we have been doing this series on love, God is love, I, you know, have been talking about the fact that You know, there's three statements in Scripture. God is spirit, God is light, and God is love. Those are the three statements that are the God is statements in Scripture. And when you begin to talk about God is love, it's it's just, it's amazing uh, how much I believe God has been misunderstood. How much we misunderstand God in our daily living. Uh, This week, there's been a couple of instances where things have just happened and it's just been a confirmation to me that God is is wanting to open up our heart, notice I'm saying heart, to understand His heart better than we've ever understood it. And what better day than Valentine's Day to understand? You look everywhere, there's hearts. You know that? Yeah, early this morning I went in Walmart to get hearts because it's Valentine's Day. And you know what? I want to love like God loves. Don't you? I want to begin this morning by just simply reading you a story and I want you to listen to it and I want you to think about what's being said because it goes along with my message today. Uh, Let me go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 13 because I told you we're talking about love and and I want to read this passage. I've read it every uh, week that we've been in this series, but I want you to see it and we're going to talk about one of these today. But 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 4, it says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. It does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Now, I'm going to deal with every single one of these 15 things that we put in the next few weeks. And today, last week, we talked about love is patient. Today, we're going to talk about, and I've just titled this, love is kind. Now, every week, I've made this statement. I've said, if you want to find out who God is, then you need to find out what love is because God is is love. What you believe in your heart, everybody just say in your heart. What you believe in your heart about love is what you believe in your heart about God. And I'm going to be talking about that today. But let me just begin by reading you this little story. His name is Bill. He has wild hair, wears a t-shirt with holes in it, jeans, and flip-flops. This was literally his wardrobe for his four years of high school. He is brilliant, 
kind of odd in his worldview and perspective, but he is very, very bright. He became a Christian during his junior year of high school when a fellow student shared her faith with him. Across the street from the high school campus is a modern, conservative, and active church. They work hard to develop ministries to the students, but that process is constantly changing and a challenge. One Sunday, Bill decides to go visit the church. He walks in with no shoes, jeans, his T-shirt, and wild hair. The service has just started, so Bill starts down an aisle looking for a seat. The church is pretty full, and Bill doesn't want to invade anyone's territory. As he makes his way up the aisle, people are looking a bit uncomfortable, but no one says anything. Bill gets closer and closer to the front, and rather than bother anyone, he just squats down on the carpet in front of the first row of chairs and makes himself comfortable. Because this is so out of the norm, People who see Bill sitting up front on the floor become uncomfortable. About that time Bill gets settled in, the pastor realizes that one of the deacons who is sitting toward the back of the auditorium has gotten up from his seat and is making his way toward the front and specifically toward Bill. He's a godly man, very dignified and respected wearing a suit and tie, and he walks with his cane, his silver hair neatly combed, and his Bible under his arm. You can't blame him for what he is about to do. How can you expect a man of his age and of his background to understand some barefoot teenage kid with long hair, blue jeans, and a t-shirt who has walked in and thinks it's somehow acceptable to just sit on the floor in front of everyone. It takes what seems like a long time for the deacon to reach the front where Bill is seated. The church is completely silent except for the whispers in the congregation. All eyes are focused on the front. Everyone is glad that this one senior adult deacon has taken matters into his own hands. Even the pastor is frozen in the moment with mixed emotions and thoughts running through his mind and heart. Then, suddenly, God shows up. When this dearly deacon gets to where Bill is seated, he very slowly and carefully kneels down beside Bill, then lays his cane and his Bible on the floor and sits down to worship beside Bill so he won't be sitting alone. Everyone chokes up with emotion. The deacon doesn't say a word. He gently reaches out his hand to shake Bill's. In that moment... Although nothing is said, much is communicated. When the pastor is able to speak, he simply says, what I'm about to preach, you will never remember. 
what you have just seen, you will never forget. Kindness. Thank you. Kindness. Love is kind. God is kind. It amazes me the number of hurting people who simply believe that God doesn't need to be kind. It amazes me how unkindness, hear me say this, unkindness has almost become the norm of our society today. I have never in my entire life seen as much unkindness on display as we witness today. Today, we have a generation who subscribe to the love hurts mentality. Today, many people believe the mindset, nice guys finish last. That's what we believe. And the truth is that we have come so far from kindness, I'm not sure we really know what it looks like. Now I want to stop right here and I want to look every one of you in the eye, and especially those of you who are watching live, I want you to, I want you to understand, I don't think any of us really know what kindness is. I think we have an opinion, I think we have an idea, but I think our view of kindness has been misaligned. Now listen to me. I told you last week that the great counterfeit of kindness is manipulation. True kindness, listen to me, true kindness must have nothing behind it in order for it to exist. Let me say this, and I'll teach on this somewhere in this series. If you want to talk about God's love, which is agape, God's love, agape, is represented by just a straight arrow. If you just draw a arrow, God is love, it's, it's a straight arrow. Eros, the human love that most of us deal with, is a line with a hook in it. In other words, I love you and I'm expecting something back. That's what most of us know love is. Most of us know kindness in the very same fashion as we know love. But true kindness must have nothing behind it for it to exist. There must be no ulterior motives that hold up your kindness. It has to stand completely alone by itself on its own for kindness to be authentic. Now, please listen to this statement I'm about to read. Until you are able to receive authentic kindness, you will never know the heart of of God. Say it again. Until you are able to receive authentic kindness, you will never know 
the heart of God. You see, I personally believe that kindness is supernatural and that it defies human logic. And I also believe that most of us sitting and listening to me right now think you know as much about kindness as you need to know. You think that you understand kindness and that you have adopted kindness and that you know exactly what it is and you really don't think this little short fat preacher is going to be able to teach you very much that you don't already know about kindness and that may be true. But genuine kindness does, does, does without wanting anything in return. Genuine kindness does without wanting anything in return. Now, listen to me. Kindness must always land in the heart. Now watch how I'm saying this, not the head. I'll explain that. That's what I'm saying, this, this song that we've been singing. Now, I've already told you the counter. Do, do, you, do, you under, do you know why they don't make counterfeit $25 bills? Y'all, does anybody here, do you understand why they don't make 25, counterfeit $25 bills? Because they don't make real ones. If there's not a real genuine, there's nothing to counterfeit. The devil's never created anything in his life. He counterfeits what God does. And the devil has a counterfeit to God's love. The devil has a counterfeit to God's kindness. Listen to me. The counterfeit of kindness, manipulation, is always directed towards your flesh and your head, not your heart. But kindness has to touch your heart. Now, kindness is an attribute of love and love lasts forever. I could say it like this. Love Agape love, God's love, real love, true love never fails in any situation. So, kindness must be aimed at the forever part of you for it to be authentic. Now, most people today don't know the difference between their head and their heart. That's why... Cheap imitations fool our flesh. Do you know, I, I hear people talking about certain things that are fake or imitations. You, you know, I remember one time I bought a Rolex watch for $20. Which well, said Rolex right in there. You say, well... Pastor, you're naive. It wasn't the real thing. You remember the story I told the other day about the little girl who was drawing a picture of God on the front row at church? And her mom looked at her and said, Honey, nobody knows what God looks like. And she said, They will when I'm done. 
you'll listen to the heart of God today and what God has to say, when I'm finished with this sermon today, you'll know more about God's love and God's kindness than you've ever known in your life. Because kindness is something that must touch your heart. You see, our flesh loves the sensation of somebody being nice to us. Yeah, we love the thing and we're fooled by something that made us feel good in the head. You know, we hear somebody say something. It had nothing to do with the truth. It doesn't really land in your heart. It's just something that makes you feel good in your head and in your flesh. You say, man, they think I'm nice. They think I'm good. They think I'm wonderful. They think something. They've said something nice to me and it, it, it's really something. But you know in your heart what they said wasn't true. Therefore, it may not have been kindness that they were using. They may have been saying something to you I'm going to tell on Stephanie. Dave and I sitting in the office this week and Stephanie comes walking in and I said, boy, you look beautiful today. She looks at me and she goes, what do y'all want, some coffee? <laughs> I was trying to be kind because I'd been talking to Dave about kindness. But that's how we think. Why? Because that's what we believe in our heart. Help me. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want you to listen carefully to me. You know, sometimes an act of kindness is just exactly that, an act. Again, let me, let me say this. Kindness is an attribute of love, and love never fails. Now, I want to say this, and you got to hear me. There is a clear-cut difference between being nice and being kind. Anyone can do a nice thing. It doesn't require love to be nice. But kindness requires love because kindness is an attribute of love. Help me, Lord. A kind thing always, always, always hits the heart because kindness is directed by love. And we must never confuse niceness with kindness. Let me try to illustrate this. Do you know that most of us would rather people be nice to us than be kind to us? Yeah, that's true. It's true that most of us would rather people be nice to us than kind to us. Why? Because niceness keeps its distance. Kindness invades our personal space. Niceness makes us smile. 
Kindness can make you cry. Niceness pats us on the back. Kindness reaches into the heart. Niceness asks, how you doing? Kindness really wants to know the answer. Did you hear me? Kindness really wants to know the answer and most of the time it already does know the answer. Help me, Lord. Authentic kindness overrules things like anger, rage, depression, gossip, hopelessness, envy, strife, and just about any other terrible thing you want to name, authentic kindness overrides those things. Say, Pastor, I'm not sure I agree or understand what you're saying. Let me talk for just a minute to try to help us understand this. Let me talk about cheap imitations. What I want to call synthetic kindness. A cheap imitation. Synthetic kindness. You see, here's the problem that we have. We've been fed synthetic kindness over time to where most of us have developed a taste for synthetic kindness, not authentic kindness. Now watch, most of you don't know this. Most people prefer maple flavored syrup than they do real maple syrup. Did you know that? 70% of Americans prefer maple flavored syrup let me just help you here so that you understand. Aunt Jemima, Miss Buttersworth, and Log Cabin. They are not maple syrup. They are maple flavored syrups. And do you know why we prefer them over real maple syrup? Because we grew up on it and we have developed a taste for it. And that's all we really know. I mean, I can tell you, I can remember the first time I went somewhere and I said, man, you're going to love this. This is real maple syrup. And I went, Bleh. I about gagged on that stuff. Why? Because we had Aunt Jemima and Miss Buttersworth and Log Cabin at our house. That's all we knew. My palate didn't know what to do with the real thing. Y'all see where I'm going with this? I'm saying most Christians don't know what to do when the kindness of God comes along because we're used to cheap imitations. We're used to synthetic things. See, few of us really grew up eating real maple syrup. Now, here's the problem with kindness. We would rather have something that tastes like kindness than to have the real thing 
Because real kindness, genuine kindness when it gets you is going to permeate that heart of stone that you have developed. Nobody's ever going to hurt me again. I know how bad it is to be hurt. Ain't nobody ever going to hurt me again. Somebody comes along with kindness trying to touch your heart and you've got your shield up. You've got your heart guarded. I can't let God have every area of my heart because if he gets every area of my heart, he'll make me do things I don't really want to do. Imitation. See... When we understand that we would rather have something that tastes like kindness instead of having the real kindness, this poses a staggering problem in our relationship with God. Until we come to an understanding and develop the attitude and the appetite that I really want the authentic truth about God. I've started this series. We've got a few posts, a few people that sent things that when I say God is love, they believe that's a lie. They don't, they, they're God they have, the opinion they have, the hurt they're dealing with, the struggle they're dealing with, and it's okay. I don't want to be cruel or unkind to anyone, but they don't know God. They're not mean or bad. They just don't know God. They do not know who God is. See, before we know it, what has happened, and when I say we've misunderstood God, when I say God's been misunderstood, when I say we've been told lies about God, before you know it, what happened is we, we, we have a generation of Christians who are addicted to God-flavored kindness, not real kindness. What do you mean? They're addicted to a kindness that has nothing to do with who he is or how he relates to us. Most people believe in a manip manipulative God. Most people believe that he has something behind everything he does for us. We really do not believe that God is kind. Hear me say this. We don't trust him. We don't trust God. We think we do. But every one of you are sitting here, you're afraid that if you open up your heart totally and completely to God, he's going to have you do something you don't want to do. You know, I mean, it, it, it's just simple stuff that you, you're so afraid he's going to ask you to love your enemies. You're so afraid he's going to ask you to tie. Ooh. By the way, loving your enemies is a hard issue. Tithing is a hard issue. It ain't about money and it ain't about people. It's about heart. Listen to me. Every time God does something kind for us, we wonder what is it he wants from us? Are you ready for this? Are you all ready for this? Is it okay with everybody that I'm honest and truthful? Listen to me. 
When our lives get in a pattern of sin and we have things that we know are going on in our lives that shouldn't be there, we believe, we believe, we really believe that God won't help us till we get right with him. We really believe that. We're afraid to ask God for certain things when we know there's things in our lives that shouldn't be because we believe that God won't do things for you when you don't deserve it. Oh yeah, man, I'm preaching good today. Let me just tell you how we are at church. Let me tell you about Christians. I want to talk about Christians. I can talk about Christians because I are one. When someone we know who isn't living a holy, righteous life receives a blessing from God, it confuses us and angers us because we know he or she didn't deserve it. Can you believe God blessed them with that new car and I'm driving this? Can you believe that God would heal them and I can't get him to do a thing for me? Help me, Lord. If you don't earn it, you just don't deserve it with God. That's how it is. Why would God do that for them? They ain't holy like I am. We struggle to identify the motives of our God. Help me, Lord. Till we, listen to me, till we begin to understand and realize what God cares about, we will find him always impossible to understand. The moment, the moment we grasp what God's focus is, he suddenly becomes real and knowable. Let me try to illustrate it like this. You got a married couple. They love each other. They love their kids. They love God. They're working together. Here they are, young, married, they're working on things and they look at each other and they say, we can't afford to go out and eat. We can't afford to buy new clothes. We can't afford to buy my, the wife a safe vehicle to drive. But he comes home one day and he says, honey, you are not going to believe what God has done for us. Listen to me. It is amazing what God has provided. Do you know, sweetheart, he loves you so much, he just provided us a brand new hunting camp. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Can't afford clothes for the kids. 
This is so funny because it's real to all of us. Most of us been there. I'll never, I'll never forget when Sheila looked at me one Easter and she, she said, we're going to buy Talia an Easter dress. I said, honey, look how many dresses she's got. She said, all of them are hand-me-downs. I want my little girl to have an Easter dress that I bought her. She's seven years old and I ain't ever had the chance to buy her one. I think I've got that framed. No, I'm kidding. How many of you know how real this is? Are you listening to what I'm saying today? Listen to me. Hear my heart in this. No wonder we struggle with motives of our God. Everything God does for us. You know, I have people sitting and says, you know, I've been trying to sell my home for two years and I can't get anybody to look at it. And somebody comes into the next service. Bless God, I put my house on the market last week and the, before I ever got the paper signed, somebody made an offer and they're giving me $5,000 more than I listed for. Isn't God good? I'll tell you, God's good to me. And the person sitting over there with their house for sale for two years is going, he ain't good to me. It amazes me Listen to me. Now, listen here. God wants your heart. It's what we were singing about just a few moments ago. It amazes me how blown away and confused people get when they find out what God really wants to say to them. Do you know most people think that all God ever wants to talk to them about is what's wrong in their life. That's, that's what most people think about God. They think God only wants to talk to me about what's wrong in my life. They believe that he wants to confront them over every single thing they struggle with. I'm going to say this. You're going to get mad. Let me say it. God's not trying to fix your sin problem because he already has fixed your sin problem. He took your sin to the cross and paid the price for it. He's already fixed your sin problem. Well, what if I sin tomorrow? It's done. It's finished. It's over with. Help me, Lord. God's not trying to fix your sin problem. He's after your heart. You know, the very moment, God, you think, man, God's going to deal with me with this lust problem. God comes and he sits down and he says, you know, I love you and I'm so proud of you. We're sitting around thinking that he's about getting ready to expose my gossip habit. And he walks up to us and he says, you know, you're one of my greatest friends and I would really like you to trust yourself the way I trust you. When you think he's going to chastise you, he wants to sit down with you and tell you what a wonderful future he has planned for you. Why is God this way? Because he knows, why does he just want to deal with my heart? He knows the cause of every sin is not a head problem, it's a heart problem. He knows your flesh is your flesh. Help me, Lord. 
loved ones. Your heart is desired by God's heart. God's not after your flesh. He's not after every thought that passes through your mind. What he wants more than anything else is for your heart and his heart to be knit together because that's where change comes is from the heart. Help me, Lord. Your heart is the center of his attention. He loves your heart. He adores it. Your heart is priceless. It's a priceless jewel to him. When he speaks, he speaks to your heart. When he touches you, he touches your heart. When he's touched by you, he is touched from your heart to his. It is your heart that touches God, not your head and not your great ways of doing things. Listen to me. This is the most important attribute of the character of God that there is, in my opinion. You must know God is kind. Just say that with me. Say, God is kind. He is always kind. There is never a point when he isn't kind or less kind than he is at other times. His kindness drives him to move your heart with no strings attached. He knows your heart better than you do. He's memorized your heart. And your heart is written upon his heart. Listen to me. You, please hear me say it. You can trust your heart to God. Some of you, the best thing you could do is get in the presence of God and tell him exactly what you're feeling. You need to share your heart with God. I have never, ever had a problem being able to tell God anything that's going on in my life. I don't, I'm not saying that from any kind of a perfect stance. What I'm simply saying is when God deals with you, he deals with your heart. And when you begin to connect, help me, Lord, your heart with his heart, you begin to have a freedom that you've never, ever had before. I'm talking about kindness today. Kindness, a supernatural power where there is nothing behind it that makes it stand up. It stands all on its own. In closing, let me just simply say, we've been taught to believe that the fear of God, the fear of God's wrath is what brings us to repentance. I know this is going to sound funny to some of you, but just listen to me. Hell has been held over the heads because well-meaning preachers sincerely believe that fear is the greatest motivator to the human spirit. Here's the problem. 
Fear pertains to the flesh. Perfect love casts out fear. Satan never created anything. He's perverted what God has and fear is the reciprocal of faith. It's perverted faith and it's a temporary thing. Listen to me. Kindness is eternal. Kindness crushes the power of fear. When God gave his only son, do you know why God gave his son? Do you know what he was giving to us when he gave his son? God was giving his heart to you and I. The only way he could hit the target of our hearts was to give his son. Listen to me. His kindness is beyond the realm of reimbursement. Listen to me. You can never do for God what he's done for you. Listen to me. God's kindness never, ever, ever has an ulterior motive behind it. His kindness cannot simply, just can't be repaid. All you can do is stand there and receive it. W.H. Compton, one of the greatest pastors in my life, had a man they had made the Sunday school superintendent. And he came to church one Sunday and you could clearly smell alcohol on his breath and he was staggering around and they had just made him two weeks before Sunday school superintendent. Some of the men of the church came to Pastor Compton and said, Pastor, we gotta say something, we gotta do something. He said, oh no, don't, don't, don't. Let's just, let's just trust the Lord. Let's just pray and believe that God's gonna work this out. They didn't want to. They said, no, we got to confront this. He doesn't need to be here in this condition. But they agreed to do what Pastor said. As he was handing out the Sunday school literature, a little girl came to him and called him by name and said, your breath smells terrible, but I love you anyway. He went home and never drank another drop the rest of his life. Why? She was kind. She had love in her heart. She didn't have to address anything other than being kind. When will we wake up to the heart of God? Father, Touch our hearts, I pray. Open our hearts to you. May we learn and know you are kind. Your heart is kind. And that we can be just like you. I thank you, Father, for your kindness today. In Jesus' name, amen.